We're going to take our Bibles and we're going to turn to Luke chapter 2, read a portion of the Christmas story. So in your Bible, the Gospel of Luke chapter number 2 in your Bibles. If you're using one of the black pew Bibles that we have around the auditorium for our guests, you'll find that at page number 605, page 605, Luke chapter number 2 contains a good portion of the Christmas story. We want to read some of it this morning. Gospel of Luke, chapter number 2, verse number 1, the Bible says, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger." because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace. Goodwill toward men. It came to pass, as the angels were going away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even into Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning the child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told Unto them. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Luke chapter number 2 this morning. Gospel of Luke chapter number 2. The story of Christmas is the fulfillment of, of promises that God made hundreds and hundreds, yea, thousands of years before the event occurred. And for generations, Jewish people cried out, O come, Emmanuel, come. Generation after generation longed for the Messiah to arrive. Generation after generation prayed that He would come. 
and looked for him to come. And finally he came. And Christmas is the celebration of the fulfillment of God's great promises to generations of people that he would come, that the Messiah would arrive, that he would be a savior that would save people from their sins. But we have managed to turn this amazing story of Christmas into um, into quite a commercial activity. I, every Christmas I read the story that M.R.D. Hahn, the late M.R.D. Hahn wrote uh, at Christmas time. He entitled the, the poem, Can This Be Christmas? It goes like this. What's all the hectic Russian worry? Where go these crowds who run and scurry? Why all the lights, the Christmas trees, the jolly fat man? Tell me, please. Why don't you know? This is the day for parties and for fun and play. Why, this is Christmas. So this is Christmas, do you say? But where is Christ this Christmas day? Has he been lost among the throng, his voice drowned out by empty song? No, he's not here. You'll find him where some humble soul now kneels in prayer who knows the Christ of Christmas. But see the many aimless thousands who gather on this Christmas day whose hearts have never yet been opened or said to him, come in to stay. In countless homes, the candles burning in countless hearts, expectant yearning for gifts and presents, food and fun and laughter till the day is done. But not a tear or grief or sorrow for him so poor he had to borrow a crib, a colt, a boat, a bed where he could lay his weary head. I'm tired of all this empty celebration of feasting, drinking, recreation. I'll go instead to Calvary. And there I'll kneel with those who know the meaning of that manger low and find the Christ this Christmas. I leap by faith across the years to the great day when he appears the second time to rule and reign and end all sorrow, death and pain. In endless bliss we then shall dwell with him who saved our souls from hell and worship Christ. Not Christmas. Well, old Mr. Dehan uh, was um, a little bit out of shape that year, I guess, when he uh, looked at all the festivities and couldn't find Christ anywhere to be found. And it bothered him. That poem impacted me early in my ministry uh, back over 40 years ago. And so I began back 40 years ago to to preach every Christmas on some different person or group in the original Christmas story. You know, a lot of people don't know the Christmas story. As a matter of fact, we're going to show a little media clip on Christmas Eve. We're going to start the evening service off with a little Christmas, uh, a little Christmas clip of, of some uh, people. They're having the foggiest idea of what the Christmas story is. And they're talking about, about Christmas, trying to figure it out. It's kind of comical. Kind of humorous, but you know, that's the culture we live in. A lot of people don't know the Christmas story. They don't know what it's all about. They don't know who the characters are. And so many times it's easy for us as Christians to, uh, to lose sight of what the original story was all about. And so every year we go back to the original story and we, we try to reclaim one little part of the Christmas story. Uh, one character or one group of characters out of the Christmas story. And ask the question, what did Christmas mean to that individual or that group of individuals? What was the Christmas story in their experience? What did it mean to them? And this year, 
We're looking at the shepherds in the Christmas story. It's been about 10 years since we spoke on the shepherds. And so this morning we're going to take a look at what Christmas meant to the shepherds. You know, some people, uh, when they don't like something, they curse the darkness. But you know, it's a whole lot better to light a candle than to curse the darkness. We can expect the world to act like the world that doesn't know God. We can expect unsaved people to act like unsaved people. They don't know God. They don't know Christ. They, you know, to Christmas, the only thing Christmas is to them is a party. Well, that's because they're unsaved. That's because they don't know God. The best thing we can do is not curse the darkness. The best thing we as Christian people can do is light a candle. Shed some light. Stand up for Jesus Christ. Let this season of the year be a season of the year in which we can display the amazing story of the real Christmas to a world that doesn't know what it's all about. And by learning the Christmas story, we have the information we need to be able to do that. The best remedy for the commercialization of Christmas is to focus on the reality of Christmas. How much do you know about the original story? Can you go to your Bible and find the various places where the story is told and then piece them together to form the chronological Christmas story? Do you have the ability to do that? Can you take your Bible this morning and go to the Old Testament and find the places where God promised that a virgin would conceive and bear a son and his name would be Emmanuel, God with us. Can you find the passages in the Bible? Can you find the place in the Old Testament where hundreds of years before Christmas morning, the prophet prophesied that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Can you, do you know your Bible? Do you know the Christmas story? How much do you know about the real story of Christmas? Well, let's focus on the shepherds this morning. Joseph and Mary had, a, had arrived at Bethlehem. Mary had given birth to Jesus Christ sometime during the night. And God is getting ready to uh, give a press conference to the world to announce the birth of a new baby. You know, it's exciting to announce the birth of a new baby. Uh, sometimes we'll have a little rose sitting up here, uh, or a little uh, single rose in a little bud vase. And when we see that rose in a bud vase, we know somebody had a baby this week. And it's fun to announce the birth of a new baby. Have the dad uh, tell about the name and the, the weight and the length and, and uh, tell about the little baby that was born. The... Uh, the announcement of a birth is exciting news. And Jesus Christ was announced, his birth was announced in quite a fanfare fashion as God gave a press conference to announce the new birth. Most important press conference in all of history. The announcement of the birth that will forever change the life of humanity. The, the birth announcement that, uh, that announced the event that that split the calendar between before Christ and in the year of our Lord, between B.C. and A.D. The birth announcement that announced the most strategic event in the history of humanity. And it was quite a spectacular press conference. CNN wasn't there. MSNBC wasn't there. Fox News wasn't there. But God called together a group of individuals to whom the announcement would be made 
that after all of these generations, after all of these hundreds and hundreds of years, God had finally fulfilled His promise. And the Messiah had been born that very night. And God's press conference called together the shepherds to be able to hear the announcement of the birth of Jesus Christ. Here's what I want you to remember this morning. God entrusts simple people with great responsibility. Can you remember that thought? God entrusts simple people with great responsibility. God didn't call together the religious leaders from Jerusalem. He didn't call together King Herod and his court. He didn't call together prestigious people in the culture and society. He didn't call together the ones whose names have name recognition at every home. He didn't call together a great crowd of important people to announce the birth of the Messiah to. He called together some rather insignificant people, a bunch of shepherds, to announce the greatest birth in the history of all of humanity. And those simple shepherds in that culture were not prestigious people. Shepherding was, called, was considered a low-class job. Shepherding was considered to be a, a dirty job. An undesirable job to wander in loneliness across the barren hillsides, leading a flock of sheep to be able to find nourishment. It was not considered an important and a prestigious job. And God called together such people, simple people, ordinary people, nobodies, for the press conference of the birth of the Messiah. Well, what did God provide these shepherds in allowing them to be the ones to whom the announcement would be made? God provided these shepherds with some great privileges. I want you to notice, first of all, he, he provided them with the privilege of trust. The privilege of trust. As I mentioned, God didn't call the scholars and the kings and the lawyers and the scribes and the Pharisees, but rather these common people. This was a matter of trust. God trusted these simple shepherds with the news of the momentous event that occurred that night that nobody knew about outside of Joseph and Mary. And God provided these shepherds with the privilege of trust. That he would trust them with this most important announcement. Notice in verse number 9 in your text. Verse number 9. The Bible says that the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. God has chosen you to be the recipients of this information. And I am bringing to you trusted individuals with the most important announcement that will have ever been made on earth. I bring to you. Now, this, this announcement was a, a, a profound announcement. Verse number, verse number 12 tells us, verse number 10 and 11 tells us that this announcement was the announcement of the coming of a Savior. Verse number 11 says, For unto you is born in the city of David. 
this day in the city of David a Savior. I want you to know the reality of a Savior was at the heart of the announcement that was made at the press conference. A Savior! Oh, that word is so rich in meaning and insight. The reality of a Savior, finally, a Savior. You know, when you need a Savior, that insinuates that you need to be rescued from a danger. You need to be saved from tragedy. You need to be rescued from being in trouble. When God announced to these simple shepherds that God was sending a Savior, or had sent a Savior... The reality that a Savior had come means that humanity is forever lost in darkness, headed to hell, in great danger of peril. And they desperately need someone to save them from their sin that's taking them to hell. The reality of a Savior was at the heart of this. In Matthew chapter 1, the angel said to Mary, he shall bring... Forth a son, I'm sorry, to Joseph, he shall bring forth, she shall bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. You know what the name Jesus means, don't you? The name Jesus means Jehovah saves. He shall call his name, she shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. The Christmas story is a story about how God sent a Savior to rescue hell-bound sinners from the tragedy of the rebellion against their Creator. And so God sent the reality of a Savior. When Joseph and Mary later took baby Jesus to the temple to dedicate their firstborn son, Simeon took him up in his arms. And in Luke chapter 2, the Bible says that Simeon said, as he looked into the eyes of the baby Jesus, Simeon said, Lord, now let us, thou thy servant, depart in peace. According to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. Salvation's at the heart of the Christmas story. It was at the heart of the press conference. It was at the heart of the, the trusted information given to the shepherds, the simple shepherds. The reality of a Savior had come. And so God trusted the shepherds with the information that God had finally sent a Savior. We have the reality of a Savior. But I want you to notice, second, that we have also a description of the Savior in verse number 12. How are they going to know who this Savior is? They're out in the fields. It's in the middle of the night. Their sheep are bedded down. They've been aroused by this, by this, uh, uh, this angel that has... Uh, that has appeared in the sky and the glory of the Lord shone round about the angelic messenger and, and has told them that the Savior has come. Well, how are they going to find him? How are they going to know who the Savior is? Well, the Bible tells us in verse number 12, And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. Of all the babies that may have been born that night, there's only one baby that you'll find in a stable lying in the food trough of the animals. A newborn baby wrapped up in swaddling clothes that was the common practice of moms of that day. Wrapped up in swaddling clothes, but in a strange crib. Not a place of, uh, that, that you would normally place a newborn. You, you'll know when you find the one because you'll find him in a feeding trough. That's where you'll find him. And so the description of the Savior is give, 
as given, lying in a manger, majesty wrapped in poverty, king of kings and lord of lords, wrapped up in a poor little place, in a stable, in a in a manger. Now, once you also notice the anticipated accomplishment of the Savior. This this is the the uh, trusted uh, information that was given to these these uh, simple people. There was the anticipated accomplishment. What will this Messiah do? Verse number thirteen. Suddenly, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, "Glory to God. Peace on earth." Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. What will this Savior do? What will the accomplishment of this life be? No doubt mothers look down into the eyes of their newborn son or daughter when they give birth to a child and they wonder, what will my child become? What will my child accomplish in life? Where will my child go? With the life that has been given to this little boy, this little girl. Well, Mary didn't have to wonder. Because the skies were filled with a host of angelic beings shouting out that the accomplishment of this baby is going to be glory to God up in heaven in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. That's an interesting statement. An interesting accomplishment. On earth, people are going to experience peace with their Creator. Oh, the Bible has so much to say about the peace that comes with salvation. Peace from the guilt of our sin. So many people have testified after they got saved that they felt the guilt of sin roll off their back. That was the picture that John Bunyan wrote in his Book Pilgrim's Progress, as Pilgrim searched and searched and searched for the way to get rid of the guilt of sin. How do I get rid of this burden on my back, the growing guilt of my sinfulness? Day after day, week after week, the weight of my sin gets heavier and heavier and heavier. And how can I ever find peace? Religion couldn't give it to him. He tried that. Being good, he even went up to the hill of morality. And he met with Mr. Legality. And he found out that the laws, the law that says do this and do this and do this and do this, he, he found out that even being religious and trying to be good and trying to keep rules didn't bring peace. And the weight of sin continued to grow ever heavier on his back. It wasn't until he got to Calvary and there at the foot of the cross, John Bunyan, in his story of Pilgrim's Progress, showed the bundle, the weight, the baggage of the guilt of sin just immediately rolled off his back. Have you ever experienced that? Did you experience that when you got saved? I still remember as a teenager... Coming to the point in my life that I knew I was a sinner on my way to hell. My baptism, my church membership, all the good things that I'd done, all the, the praying and reading my Bible and trying good things. None of that got rid of the guilt of my sin. 
And I remember the night that I got on my knees and I prayed and asked Jesus Christ to come into my life and save me from my sin. It was as if the straps that held that, that, uh, that weight of sin on my back, as if the straps that held that baggage onto me broke loose. And the guilt just rolled off my back. And I've never experienced that guilt from that day till today, over 50 years later. Because the guilt of sin is removed by the blood of Jesus Christ shed on Calvary. And when I got saved, the guilt was gone and I had peace with my God. All the angelic announcement was that the accomplishment of this little baby will be peace on earth. And when there's peace with your creator on earth, you have goodwill toward men. You ever notice that? Christians treat people better than unsafe people treat people. When you've got people who know God, love God, and practice the truths of God, there's goodwill amongst men that flows out of peace with God. What will the accomplishment of this little baby be at his birth? The announcement was made to these simple shepherds. He will bring peace between man and his creator, which will bring peace between man and man. But not only on earth. Our text says that he would bring glory to God in the highest. Now, that's, that's, that's a whole Bible study in and of itself. To, to trace through what the Word of God says about the glory of God. You know what brings glory to God? What brings glory to God is the salvation of sinners. We find that over and over again. We find that in Romans chapter 11. The plan of salvation brings glory to God. For of Him and through Him and to Him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. At the end of 11 chapters, talking about the plan of God's salvation. Ephesians 2 tells us that we're saved by grace, through faith, not of ourselves, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. What brings grace? What brings glory to God? It's salvation by faith. The plan of salvation in Ephesians 3 were found that the means of propagating the message is churches like Community Baptist Church sharing this message the way the shepherds shared the message. It is the work of the church that brings glory to God world without end, the Bible says in the book of Ephesians. First Corinthians talks about it as well. God choosing the simple Things of this world, the simple people of this world, to be able to share the message of God's salvation. Why? That he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord, not in man. Oh, we can trace it through the Bible, this amazing salvation that God provided through Christmas. Brings glory to God. And God in heaven is glorified. As a matter of fact, he's going to be glorified throughout heaven. Throughout eternity in the future. The book of Ephesians tells us that God is good, that the angels are going to use you as an object lesson. In Ephesians chapter 2, the Bible says the angels are going to point to you and say, Hey, do you know what that guy used to look like? You know what that person was like? You know who she used to be? 
And now look what they are now in heaven, saved, conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And they're going to say, you know what made the difference? It wasn't their religion. It wasn't their good works. It wasn't their self-effort. It wasn't their self-help. It was the glory of God in saving their souls from hell. And God's going to be bragged on throughout all of eternity. And you're going to be the illustration that the angels will use to brag on God. And God is going to be glorified over and over and over again throughout all of eternity. Because of the difference God made in your life by his grace and by his mercy. You know what this little baby's going to accomplish? This little baby's going to accomplish peace between us and our creator. Which is going to bring much glory to God for all of eternity. Oh, God provided there that morning, or that evening rather, the privilege of trusting these shepherds with the most amazing story that had ever been told. I want you to notice something else. There's a second provision. They were given the opportunity for verification. I like this, particularly in today's world where our culture is gone today. They did not blindly believe it. They did not believe it without the ability to verify it. They had verification given to them. In verse number 15 of our text, the Bible says that when the, as the angels were going away, the shepherds said, let's go, let's see. And they went and let us go even unto Bethlehem to see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And what did they find? They found that night exactly what the angel told them they would find. They found a newborn baby wrapped up in swaddling clothes, lying in the feeding trough of some animals in Bethlehem. Verification that what the angels said had really happened. That exactly what the angels said occurred, did occur. You know, verification is important. The psalmist said in Psalm 34, 8, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Taste and see. Find out if this is real or not. Verify the story. You know, that's why God gave us the Bible, this supernatural book, this amazing book that we call the Bible. It's given to us that so we can read it and verify the story of what God has said. And when we read uh, prophecies and promises made hundreds of years before they occurred, when we read scientific information Long before they were, the, the science discovered those truths, when we find in the, the, uh, the archaeologist's spade uncovers things that were foretold in the Bible so many years before that man had lost and didn't know anything about, and the Bible becomes verified, the Bible is shown to be true, the Bible is seen to be accurate, we have the great privilege of verification of the story of Christmas. It's available to anyone who will take the time to read and to study and to dig. And you know what everyone that does that finds? The Bible is true. Oh, scoffers, agnostics, deniers of God have set out to prove the Bible is false. They set out to prove that the Bible has errors. They set out to prove the Bible is not what it claims to be. Only as a result of their verification and research and efforts to disprove the Bible, 
came to the conclusion that they were wrong and the Bible is true. The verification is there for anyone who will, with an honest heart and mind, search to verify its contents. The shepherds were given the opportunity for verification. But here's, here's the third provision that was given to these shepherds that night. These simple people, these nobodies who were given the privilege of trust by God to give them the most important announcement that had ever been made. Given the opportunity to verify that it had happened exactly the way God said. And here's the final one. The responsibility to announce it to the world. Look in verse number 17. The Bible says that when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning the child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. You know, the most amazing provision that God gave to these shepherds was the responsibility to announce this story to the world. They were the ones, simple people. They were trusted with a message. They were given verification that it was true. And then they didn't have to be told to go tell people. They were so excited about that story. They were so excited about what they learned that night. They were so excited about what God had done that night. That everywhere they went, they told people about this amazing baby that was born as the promised Messiah to save mankind from their sins. And they spread that message everywhere. You know, last few years, I've been, I've been thinking in the back of my mind, why don't we have an activity set in our front yard? We've got people that have Santas and reindeer and presents and, and, and all kinds of stuff. Blow up stuff, lit stuff, all kinds of displays. Christmas! How many nativity scenes do you see on front yards? And I've been thinking about that the last couple of years. And this year, I finally did something about it. This year, we bought a nativity set. And we put it on our front lawn. And it's got LED lights that shine and, and, and draw attention to it. And it's right on our block between the snowmen and the, and the, and the Santas and whatever else is in our neighborhood. The other day, my wife went out the front door. And a gentleman was walking down the street that doesn't live on our block. He was visiting family that lived down the street. And he stopped. And he looked at my wife and he said, thank you. Thank you for putting up a nativity scene in your yard. He said, it's the only nativity scene that I've seen in our neighborhood. 
And I got to thinking about that. You know, the, the, the shepherds were entrusted by God with the most glorious message. They verified that it was true. And then they just got so excited about what had happened. They went everywhere telling everybody about the birth of Jesus Christ. And you know, when I think of the commercialization of Christmas, I think, you know, it doesn't do any good to be down in the mouth and kind of put down and curse the darkness. What would it be like if every Christian family had a nativity scene in their front lawn? What would South Riding look like if every Christian family had a nativity scene in their front lawn? How many of you, you, you've got decorations. A lot of y'all have decorations in your front yard. Some of you have all kinds of stuff. Can you imagine if everybody put a nativity scene in their front lawn and unsaved people walked around and they thought, what's going on? Where's all the Santa Clauses? Where's all the snowmen? Where's all the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeers? What's happened to our community? There's nativity scenes everywhere. That's what the shepherds did. They didn't have to be told to do it. They were just so excited about Jesus Christ being born that they lived their Christianity out for everyone to see. And I got the question to myself, why aren't we more visible in America today. Why don't we have our Christianity out on our sleeve for everyone to see? Why aren't we so excited about Jesus Christ that we display Jesus Christ from our lives like the shepherds did, glorifying and praising God, telling everybody about Jesus Christ? How visible is our Christianity today? You know, the fir first Christmas was such a momentous event that it became very visible and audible to everyone around. Because the shepherds were trusted by God with a message that was glorious. They verified that it was true. And then they went out and they announced it to everybody. I was, we were decorating the church, and I was telling, I don't know who I was telling them to, I think it was Nick or so, I don't know. I, I said, man, I'm looking for, I'm looking for some life-size nativity. I, 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 want a, I want a six or seven foot tall Joseph. Uh, I, I, I want, a, I want a, a manger that's about this high. I want a great big, bigger than life nativity scene to put right outside, underneath the lights at our front doors. Where you can't come anywhere near this building without seeing Joseph and Mary and baby Jesus there under the lights of Community Baptist Church displaying to our community. Christmas is about that. Not about that. I like Christmas trees and I like decorations and poinsettias. But we make sure we put the nativity scene higher than anything else of decoration. Because that's what Christmas is all about. And what I learned from the shepherds in the first Christmas story. Is they were overtly visible and audible. In letting the world know what happened that night 
in Bethlehem. And it's worth being visible and audible about. It's worth taking some true life cards. Uh, yesterday morning, I was uh, over at uh, IHOP with a preacher. And, uh, and I, I, we had a, a waiter, brand new waiter. We were, we were his, I think, his second customer. First day at work, he was just... As nervous as you can imagine, first day at work, the place was packed. There was a long line out the front door. Uh, they were, everyone was hustling and working. And this young man, uh, teenage guy, and uh, he, is, he is doing his best, but you can tell he's brand new. We ended up with, with double toasts and pancakes and double grits, and we had more food on our table for two people. But he, he, did, he, he was doing his best and trying his hardest. And I pulled out a true life Christmas. And I said to him, I said, I've got something for you. I want to share with you an invitation to church at Christmas time. And told him about Community Baptist. And I pointed him to the back, the truelife.org website. I said, you know, this is a, a website we've been promoting. It's a website that has a lot of little short videos on it that answer a lot of the questions that young adults are asking about the Bible and, and about God. And he took it, and he looked at it, and he said, Thank you. I've been wanting to find a church close here to go to. Thank you for giving me that card. You know, the birth of Jesus Christ is worth being visible and audible about, isn't it? I learned that from the shepherds. Thank you yesterday for putting out 80 invitations on doors in the neighborhoods that you had sent to me that you were going to be passing those, those um, uh, Christmas invitations out. I learned from the shepherds. This is the real Christmas. This isn't the fake Christmas. This isn't the commercialized Christmas. This isn't the phony Christmas. I learned from the real Christmas. That simple people, not, not doctors and lawyers and, and, and PhDs and, and, and politicians, simple people, simple people, are trusted with a message of a story that is the greatest story that's ever been told. And we verified that it's true. And now we have the privilege of announcing it. To everyone we meet, the story of Christmas is the story of God keeping his promises and sending the Savior because people are on their way to hell under the guilt of their sinfulness. And no religion can fix that. And no ceremony can fix that. And no amount of effort to try to be better can fix that. A Savior, a Rescuer has been sent to rescue people from the hell that they're heading to. And this rescuer is going to enable sinful people to find peace with God. And when people find peace with God, they get along better with people on earth. And when the grace of God grants salvation to sinful people through the death of Jesus on Calvary, then people brag on God and He gets glory for the amazing salvation that He made available 
to his creation. That's the story of Christmas. Will you share it this week? Will you be audible this week? Will you be visible this week? And will you order a nativity set for next year for your front lawn? Let's let this area know, your community know. Let's fill front yards with nativity sets around northern Virginia and let the world know that this is Christmas to us. It's worth being excited about. Let's be audible. Let's be visible. Let's be simple people telling the amazing story of what happened that night in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. Father, thank you for the amazing story of Christmas. Lord, may we never tire of thinking about it, reading it, singing about it, praying through it, and looking for examples in the lives of the people who lived out the first Christmas story. Examples of how we can live today and let that story be real to a new generation of people. Father, we thank you for the trust you gave to us in giving us this amazing story, allowing us to have copies of the Bible to verify And then to be excited to tell others. Lord, would you use us this week? Lord, help us to be excited about your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, this morning, if there's someone here who've never, never dealt with the real Christmas story, who may still be carrying that weight of guilt on their back, The guilt that I carried for the first 14 years of my life. The guilt of sin. The knowledge of coming judgment. The reality of of how we have rebelled against you and disobeyed you and sinned against you. Lord, there may be some today who have never found peace with their Creator. And Father, I pray that today, this very day, that the real story of a Savior coming into humanity to represent us before you, to go to the cross of Calvary in our place, bearing our sin on his back, that the guilt, the baggage, the weight of our sin might be shouldered by the Savior Himself and then to accept from you the horrendous judgment that He endured at Calvary in our place, making it possible for a holy God to forgive sinful people and not lose His holiness. Because you suffered the penalty that we deserve. Father, if there's someone here today who has never been brought under the power of that amazing Christmas story, I pray that the Spirit of God might draw them to yourself this morning. 
that they might be saved from their sin and have the gift of eternal life. And Lord, for those of us who are saved, would you hear our praise, our worship, our thanksgiving to our great God who provided for us a Savior to save us from our sin. 